right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're going to be continuing on talking about biblical change. We're going to move on from uh, this idea of uh, reproof, uh, conviction, and moving into correction, which is uh, really kind of an in-depth process. And uh, I don't want to run roughshod over it, so we're going to take a look at a Several different items about uh, uh, corrective uh, process and how that works. Uh, we're going to look at some individual components of it, why each of them are important. Uh, probably delve a lot into uh, repentance uh, because that is a key part of correction. Um, that's something that uh, really needs to be there. But uh, we'll get into all those in just a minute. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for uh, just uh, uh, this opportunity, Lord, where we can come and study your word. I thank you again for just uh, uh, meeting here with us and teaching us and guiding us. Thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit to teach and ed- educate us and give us understanding and knowledge and wisdom through you. Pray, Lord, you just be with me tonight and speak through me. Be with each of our hearts, Lord, and prepare them and uh, that they're ready to receive what you have for us. And above all, Lord, I pray that we would just glorify you by realizing that when change needs to happen, when when that needs to occur in our life, that, uh, Lord, we would be prepared, we'd be ready, and we'd know how to do the process in a way that glorifies you and gives you praise. And uh, not is something that is done halfway, Lord, that would be done only in our flesh for a temporary, uh, uh, if you will, fix, but, Lord, something that is glorifying unto you, uh, until we uh, are, 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 are present with you eternally. And Lord, again, I just thank you for this time. And these things I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So we were talking over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, where it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, for, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we're going to summarize a couple little things that I wanted to to just mention about this idea of conviction uh, and uh, reproof and some of the things that need to need to be understood. Um, With each of these steps, each uh, all this process about uh, uh, receiving the truth, uh, about uh, uh, going through the reproof process, about going through the correction process, the instruction process. We have to understand that these things, they're, they're kind of like stops on the road to the end, to a specific journey. And, there, and there's always supposed to be that. Now, I understand that we're always learning. I understand that we're always trying to, uh, if you will, do that which is holy and do that which is perfect and do that which is righteous. And we're always striving for that. And there's the continual growth process that should always be happening in a Christian life. But there also does come a point where when we are in these processes that we move from one step to the next step. If you try to walk keeping your foot forward and then try to walk with your other foot forward, you're going to fall flat on your back or fall flat on your face. You can't keep both of them in motion. One of them has to stop so that the other one may move. Same thing about this process. It is a step-by-step process. Isn't it interesting that God calls our Christian life a what? A walk. A walk. He even refers to it at one point in time as a race. 
Those are things that are oriented with our feet, meaning that there are steps along the way, along this path that God has sent us on, along his way that he has (coughs) guided us in and outlined for us. One of the key things that we have to understand about this, though, is when it comes to this conviction process, and I kind of have to mention this because uh, there are uh, some doctrines, this false doctrines, the traditions of men, if you will, that talk about conviction needs to be something that is continual in your life that you should never be out of conviction. Well, that's not right. The Puritans actually thought about that, or kind of, if you will, uh, uh, taught that idea that it's uh, to be drawn out for a very long extended period of time in some sort of self-affliction or penance. Now, God hasn't called us to do that. Because 1 John 1, 9 makes it pretty clear, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do that, he cleanses us, we move on, right? That's the process. That's what we do. Uh, it's the devil, it's ourselves, it's the world that will continue to, 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 to put us into that. I, I heard kind of a uh, uh, little saying at one point in time about uh, uh, that... Uh, that uh, shame, if you will, is something that uh, comes about and, and can tell you that you're never going to be good enough. Shame is something that will tell you that you can never undo your past. Shame is something that will tell you that you will never live past your past. Well, if there is one thing that I know about Scripture is that when I look at that from the Word of God, that's not true. That is not true. Uh, look. Things happen, people sin, we've all done it, the Bible says that we've all done it, we, it, it makes it clear, but we don't need to dwell in that past. What do we do? We, we, we realize the conviction and we move on in the process to correct it. If we stay in the conviction process, then you might as well walk around like they were doing in the, you know, the middle ages, the dark ages, if you will, uh, with a big giant whip sitting there flogging ourselves to beat ourselves so that we're pleasing God. Now that, that's a heretical doctrine. God doesn't call us to do those things. So the way that we get victory is we move on in the process. We have to understand this. But there are times that when we, you know, get with that, we're going to have those, those thoughts that come in there and we have to approach it. This is why that truth is always important. This is why that doctrine is always important. If we don't understand those doctrines, then we're going to wind up getting caught in those traps. We're going to get caught in traps of, you know, this eternal conviction, uh, uh, you know, uh, mess or doctrine that's out there, this false doctrine. So we need to make sure we understand that. One of the other things, and, and since we're right there in this, uh, in the area, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 1. <clears throat> He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot iron. Now, and he goes into talking about this, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. 
If you, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, one, two, thou hast attained. He gives an explanation of what a, a, a pastor, what somebody that's an evangelist, somebody that's a teacher should be doing. And what is that? Continually bringing it to mind. Continually bringing it to mind. Remember, 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 remember. Sometimes you, you'll hear a same sermon. Sometimes you'll hear a sermon that sounds similar to another sermon or something of that nature. And, and what is that? That's the Holy Spirit bringing it to your remembrance again and again and again and again and again. As I've said before, you know, we went through the Abeka homeschooling program and went through all of that. And uh, again, I am per- fairly certain that my uh, uh, eighth grade uh, uh, grammar book was the same book that I received in the 12th grade. It was exactly the same. I think they might have added like maybe two additional pages with two additional examples. It just seemed like it was the same thing. It was repetitious. It was over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Well, why is that? Because repetition will help you learn. Repetition will help you learn. But what we find here in this, specifically in this passage, kind of digress with that, but is in verse 2, we have this this conscience that God gave us. You know, back before uh, the law came into effect, back before God instituted um, capital punishment, uh, in Genesis chapter nine, what did what, what what was the guidance? There was there was no Bible. There was nothing written. So what guided people from Genesis chapter three all the way through Genesis chapter six when God said, uh, "I'm going to have to drown them all"? Conscience. He talks about that in Romans chapter uh, uh, Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two. Talking about that law that was written in the hearts. Talking about uh, excusing and accusing. Talking about that kind of, if you will, understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And, and, and mankind has that innate written law in them. But it will get to a point in time where that law continues that somebody can just sit there and, if you will, just sear it over and over and over again until you feel nothing and those nerves are dead. person can do that with the spiritual things of God. person can do that when it comes to understanding what is the difference between what is right and what is wrong. So that conviction has no impact in a person's life. And the way that that's accomplished is to just ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to disregard the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to tell the Holy Spirit that he's wrong, to just rebel against God continually, to turn away from his word, and to walk away from everything that God has done, to be, to be essentially, to act like a sinner, to, 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 to be a scorner, to be ungodly in, in the way that they behave. Not to act godly, but to act ungodly. Everything contrary to it. Uh, contrary to the word of God. And, and what happens is, is these people will get there. And he says, this is what we're going to see happening in the end times, the latter days. And I will tell you, we see that. 
we see people that have no remorse. No remorse. Like I said, I, I will sometimes when, when I'm working, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm listening to various different things and sometimes I'll listen to law cases and, uh, um, and, uh, um, some courtroom, if you will, drama. Uh, I'm not talking Judge Judy or anything like that, okay? <clears throat> um, but you know, actual court, not arbitration. And, um, uh, one of the ones that, that I happen to, um, uh, been, been kind of following and watching is this whole thing, uh, with that, uh, um, that guy that ran into the whole, uh, the, the Christmas parade on lookers, killing six people, injuring, injuring a bunch more. And, and just listening to the guy, you know what? He has no conscience. He has no conscience. He begins to break down and cry, not because of what he has done to those people and what he's done to those families, but because he's afraid of the punishment. Each one of those, uh, and by the way, he was found guilty on all 76 counts that were against him today. 76 counts. Six counts of intentional homicide. And each one of those carries a mandatory life sentence. Each one. So he has to serve six life year sentences. Well, you know what God said about that over in Genesis chapter 9. Anyways, I, I, I digress. The, the, the guy has no conscience. There's no remorse. And this is often what can happen in the, in, in this process of change. And, and we have to be careful about this because we're the ones that are doing the searing. We're the ones that are, are, are numbing ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're the ones that are tuning them out. Not anyone else. We can't finger point and blame in this one. The searing of the conscience is us. Myself. We have to take ownership of that. And what will happen in the process is there will be doctrine that is given. There will be a conviction that comes and the Holy Spirit says, what you're doing is wrong. He reproves it, shows the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And shows what the right thing to do is. And the end result of what happens is somebody will look at that and go, I'm still going to choose to do what is wrong. Now, we have all sorts of people in this world today that do that. And it seems like it is increasing more and more. It seems like it just increases more and more and more as more and more wickedness. But I'll tell you this, we've got a, a, a large amount of wickedness today. Seems like it's increasing, but it's just being pushed as more prevalent. Got more people, that means more wickedness. More people equals more sinners. That's just, I mean, that's just, that's fact, right? But the end result of what we begin to realize is that we as Christians have to be careful that we don't get into this type of mentality. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, we are to respond. When reproof comes in our life, we are to respond. If we don't respond, we're going to wind up with this group. We're going to wind up with this group. And, and, and this is where we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful. Why don't you turn over the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
And this is something that I want to really encourage people about. You've gotten to the point of where there's a doctrine that's there. The Holy Spirit has reproved. Conviction has been received. And sometimes people will look at it with a very, if you will, disheartened mindset. And that disheartened mindset is this. I can't change. I'm too far gone. What are people going to think of me? I don't have the ability to do that. Now, all of that we know from a biblical perspective are lies. It's deceit. It's deceit. And we have a tendency to deceive ourselves. Self-deceit is one of the worst. Deceiving somebody else, okay, we understand. I mean, that's sin. But when we deceive ourselves, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, to a degree, we'd almost think it's laughable, but, but, but it happens so frequently. It happens so frequently. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It, 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 that's warning to individuals, not only of external influence, but of the internal influence. Well, God's not going to punish me. He chastens those whom he loves. So we have to understand that. So when we get to this, to get to this part, and we get to that, those mindset, and we begin telling ourselves some of those things, and those lies creep into our head, we bring them into captivity, right? Here's how you bring it into captivity. Let's say you get into with something, and you just, you know, you're sitting there, and you're saying, I, I can't. I can't. And, 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 um, right here, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered, the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, what is this? Grace did much more abound. There is no, I mean, we look at the world today and we see an unbelievable amount of sin. An unbelievable amount of sin. Sin that just makes us sick to our stomach. But you know what the praise is? God's grace is greater than all of that. God's grace is greater than every sin that has ever been committed. God can save somebody from the deepest, darkest pit that they have ever created and dug for themselves. God can pull that soul out of there through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. His grace. For by grace are ye saved. God's grace much more abounds than any sin that is in your life. You know what that means? That means that if you go to God and, as he says, boldly approach that throne of what? Grace. You ask, you seek God, victory over that sin will occur. It will happen. We just keep telling ourselves it won't. 
And at some point in time, we really honestly need to like, you know, have a conversation with ourselves and say, soul, stuff a sock in it. (laughs) I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to listen to God. And here, here's where this, this comes in. We, we get that conviction and now we move, as he says over there in Second Timothy 3, verse 16, we've now moving to that reproof. We're moving into that corrective phase. The corrective phase. Now we're going to have some redundancy. We're going to have some overlap here and, and, and forgive me for this, but, but it's important to us, for us to understand this. But when we start looking at that, we, we, we need to understand that the word of God is there to correct us. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 30. I believe it's Isaiah 30. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 30. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Yeah, I want you to see this here. Um, he goes through and he starts talking about uh, um, some of the the issues in this passage. He starts talking about uh, the iniquity that the, the nation of Israel's committed. He talks about how they have had a disdain for his word, uh, if, if you will. They're, they've gone against it. They, they don't want to listen to it. But I want you to jump down to verse 26. <clears throat> Don't have time to read this entire passage, but, but, but I want you to, to see this in verse 26. It says, moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people, and healeth the stroke of their wound. So this is something that I want us to begin to understand about the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two, any two-edged sword, Right? Piercing dividing sunder of soul and spirit. It will get in there, and as it says, uh, um, you know, with that joints and marrow, it will get in there and show you clearly. And it cuts. It cuts. Over there in Ephesians, not Ephesians, in, in the book of Acts, Stephen in chapter 7, uh, he, Stephen is over there, and what is he? He gives a, a message, and what did it say? It said they were pricked in their hearts. But then what did they do? They didn't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit the way that they were supposed to. They turned it in anger and they attacked him and killed him. The Word of God is going to cut us. And rightfully so. It's going to get in there and it's going to cut out that sin. It's going to show us where our problems are. It's going to pierce us. It's going to hurt. It's going to wound our pride and ideally kill our pride, and it needs to. And that might be a painful process. It might be something that is not that doesn't sound pleasant. It, it might involve confession. It might involve open repentance. It might involve a lot of things that make make us uncomfortable. But I'll tell you this: you know what the Word of God is also good at? Healing. Healing. You know, dealing with my issues that I've got going on with me right now, 
Um, there's the part of the, part of the, the process is, is I deal with, uh, I deal with skin issues. Uh, because of the, the device I have and everything, sometimes I get skin issues and, and the skin becomes raw and it, 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 it's, it's open. And that, of course, just opens your, your body for infection. <clears throat> and I was struggling with something and one of the nurses at one point in time, one of the nurses at a visit, she, she took this little ampule. It's about yay big. And inside is this glass. There's another glass ampule inside this little plastic one. And it's got a little foam dauber at the end. Take it, she takes it out of the package and she opens it and cracks it. You hear it crush and then squeezes it and this purple liquid comes to the top. And it's called marathon. And if you've ever used this stuff before, the stuff is like super glue. Actually has some of the components of super glue in it. This stuff, if you get it on your skin, it's going to take a long time to go get it off. As a matter of fact, if you try to peel it off your skin, you will rip your skin. And you know what you do? You put that over your wound. And what does it do? It has a healing property in it. It has something that covers the wound. It has something that's meant to, 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 to keep infection out and any infection that's in there kill. This stuff is, I mean, it's, it's a second skin. That's essentially what it is. It's, it's like that stuff, new skin, but it's better. It's far better. And it's expensive. Ten, ten of those little ampules cost like 80 bucks. Unless you buy it from a vet supply store, then it costs 40. (laughs) Anyways, uh, there's something to be said about that, but (laughs) healthcare in America, right? Amen. So, so this stuff, I, I, I put it on, or she put it on me the first time, and instantaneously, in two days, my skin was healed. So she gave me a whole bunch of those things for free. Saved me 80 bucks. I'm like, praise God. Yeah. And granted, the insurance probably would have picked it up, but hey, I'm always willing to take something that somebody offers me for free and, you know, says, hey, here, this is yours. Use it. Okay, I'm not trying to mooch off of anybody, but if somebody's going to offer me something like that, uh, I'm I'm going to take that. That's a nice thing. They're, they're they're giving me something. It's a gift. I will receive that. Okay, and I use that stuff whenever I get any issues or problems. Uh, I just dob that stuff on there, and you know what? I don't have any problems. And I say all that to say this: you don't realize the Word of God's just like that. The Word of God's got healing properties. The Word of God has got antibiotic properties to keep the sin out. The Word of God has got uh, a property to come in and actually put that wound back together, suture it, if you will, and make sure it heals right the first time. That's what the Word of God does. And if we don't understand that concept of what the Word of God does, then we're not going to look at the Word of God as a source to get that process corrected. Some people think that the correction process is punitive only. If you have a child and you're parenting the child 
and all you do is spank the child without ever telling them what they did wrong, teaching them what to do, and then following through with a corrective process, meaning you're replacing the bad behavior with what a good behavior should be and teaching them to do that, then you're only doing like a quarter of the of the parenting process. You're only doing a small amount of it. And sometimes that's all people will do is they'll just go straight to the punishment part, skipping everything else. Well, at that point in time, you just, that's not a good way to, to, to raise a child. That's a good way to have a generation that we have today. Because we have to teach them what's right. And this is where the word of God comes in. This is where the doctrine comes in. That conviction is there. The correction needs to happen, which means we now need to change that specific behavior and put something else in its place and continue to develop that as the habit. Using, again, only the word of God. Not some sort of weird, you know, psycho mumbo jumbo not some sort of, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to hook up taser up to me and every time I want to do something, I'm going to get tased. Somebody actually tried to sell that one time as, you know, something that was going to, to, to help you. So if you had a problem biting your nails, this, 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 uh, uh, this watch or whatever you had that had a low voltage, uh, um, when it realized that you were putting your hand up to your mouth, it would shock you. What's the problem with that? Yeah, exactly. It's a good weight loss method, isn't it? Unless you become numb to the the, the taser, you know, it's sitting there going off and it's fifty thousand volts, and you're just, you know, you're you're shoveling down the jelly beans like there's no tomorrow. You you you've seared yourself, right? <laughs> those those nerves are numb to it. But it, it, it it's it's not that it, it, the the word of God is so much better than something like that. Because it's going to show us and walk us through the process if we are willing to do it spiritually and scripturally, not fleshly and physically, or if you will, mentally. Because we realize that the mental component is really a heart issue. If we don't address the issues of the heart, the change will never occur. The change will never occur. So, so when we look at this, we begin to understand that the scriptural concern, what, what, what the, what the Bible, you know, is, 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 is here for us to do, the, the scriptural concern itself is to expose the wrong and then to right the wrong. You should understand that. Two things. It is to expose the wrong and it is meant to right the wrong. We understand that God will tell us what is wrong in our life and what we need to do to change it. The book of Proverbs is very good at contrasting that. And while the book of Proverbs is great for doing that in a spiritual way, he does call them dark sayings, so you got to dig into it a little bit deeper. But the word of God also will do that with other things. It will say, here you've got this person over here that did this, and then you have a person over here that did something the same way, but had a different result because they were doing it with God and scripturally and biblically where the other person was doing it in the flesh. So we, 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 that's, this is why studying of the doctrine 
is important as a preventative. It's better to prevent the action you need to correct than to have the action come in and to try to correct it. It's really hard to correct. Especially if it's something that has been, if you will, ingrained in us over decades. If it's something that we've had since childhood, it's even harder. But again, His grace did much more, does much more abound, right? So it can be done. It might be difficult, but it can be done. So this correction has a process. There's overlapping uh, issues with this doctrine uh, that we see in this in this process. There's overlapping issues with the reproof. But we want to cover a couple of things in this in this process. So as we take a look at the corrective process, there's about six steps to it. There is the rebuke. There's the reproof. There's the conviction. There's the confession. There's the reconciliation part, which has its own. And then there's the actual corrective act. And we're going to go through all of these. Again, kind of picking up some of those other things that we just talked about, but it's important for us to understand. If we're going to start talking about correction, we need to understand what correction is inclusive of. Okay? So, let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Leviticus. (coughs) Leviticus chapter 19. So, let's talk about this issue of rebuke. And some people have got this idea that rebuke is a ministry. I don't even want to talk about those people. All right? If you think rebuke is a ministry, may God have mercy on your soul. Because uh, that's a tough one. But there does come a point in time where somebody is going to point it out. You're going to have an Nathan in your life that's going to come up and say, Thou art the man. That's going to happen. And if it does, don't sit there and get all indignant and go, judge not let you be judged. You know, don't do that. Don't do that. Before those words come out of your mouth, stop, think, and go, could this person possibly be right? And then the Holy Spirit will just sit there and go, yeah. (laughs) And you just respond with, okay. Now I need to fix it. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, he says, Thou shalt not go up to, uh, go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Whoops, that's the wrong verse. That's verse 16. Sorry. That's a good one too. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, uh, in, uh, in verse 17 it says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Ever read that verse and just sit there and think about it for a little bit? Now, again, some people will take that and go, Oh, praise God, I got the ministry of rebuke. I'm good at rebuking people. Gotta be careful. Proverbs talks about the rebuker. Gotta be careful with that, alright? First and foremost, you better make sure that you don't have anything in your life that is gonna be contrary. You gotta, you gotta examine yourself first. Make sure that beam isn't hanging out. Okay? So, so there's a process for that. If that's somebody's, you know, call to a ministry. I've had people tell me that. Oh, I've got the, I, I, I've got the ministry of rebuke. And they're over there smoking marijuana. 
I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. No, you just want to do that so you can be rude and, and just generally mean towards people. But the end result is this. God said, you're not supposed to hate your neighbor. Sometimes if you see sin in their life and they're heading on a path of destruction, it's the lovingly neighbor thing to do saying, you really shouldn't be doing that. Now that rebuke's going to come. And sometimes it's self-rebuke. Sometimes you get up in the morning and look yourself in the eye and you go, oh, and yourself just rebukes. It tells you you know what's doing. You're, what you're doing is wrong. Okay. Sometimes it's the sin that rebukes you. Itself. Talked about that before. Where the iniquity comes up and begins to say, hey, you're, you're taking it too far. You've gone too far. Because the sin is now dominating your life. It stands up and takes the place of God. Becomes an idol. Becomes what you love and becomes what you worship. And we wouldn't want somebody to, 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 to suffer in sin. We don't want somebody to suffer in sin. Somebody sees something like that? It's wise to just kind of take them aside privately and just say, hey, that happens. And I'm telling you, if that happens in your life, receive it. Receive it. Don't balk at it. Receive it. Now, I'm not talking about criticism, okay? There's a big difference between the two. There's a big difference. Somebody's just criticizing you because they, for the sake of criticism or whatever it may be, that's a totally different story, okay? That's a totally different thing. But here we're talking about rebuke in the right way. Now, what does the word rebuke mean? Now, some people are going to say, well, it's to call sin out. It's to, to identify it. You know, it's a little bit more than that. You know what it is? It's a stop sign. It's a stop sign. What did Jesus Christ do to the wind and the waves? He rebuked him. Why? Because they were sinful? Bad wind. Bad wind. Naughty little wave. No. He didn't do that. He just said, stop. He rebuked it. And what did it do? It listened to him. Why? Because he's God. <laughs> he's the creator. He made it. So we understand that rebuke is, is, is sometimes you need to tell somebody, hey, you better stop that. And sometimes that's all it is. You don't have to get into a doctrinal thesis about it. Somebody's doing something that is not neighborly. Somebody's doing something that is is against the word of God and is a brother or sister in Christ. Do the neighborly thing and just say, hey, you really need to stop that. And leave it at that. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work, okay? Let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. 
You don't see Nathan up there, you know, trying to finagle and trying to get, you know, the right thing. You know. No, he just, he gave a story, gave a situation, let David condemn himself, judge himself without knowing it, and then say, thou art the man, and the conviction came upon him. Nathan wasn't trying to go for the conviction. He was just telling David what God told him to tell David. That was it. That was it. Turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalm 30, <coughs> Psalm 39. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 39. <clears throat> this is that rebuke process, a re, uh, rebuke stage of the process. <clears throat> You know, here we are. Um, you know, he he he's obviously uh, caught up in in um, in how he's thinking about himself. Uh, some things that uh, were were deep sorrow in his soul. Um, as we go through this, in in verse nine, he says, "I was dumb; I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it." Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thy hand. And here he is pleading for mercy. He says, When thou with thy rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. And here's what a rebuke does. Rebuke wipes away that pride. I like how, 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 how God describes it here, like a moth. Yeah. Anybody in here really like moths? Think they're kind of cool? Kind of cute? Yeah. I used to really like them. They're, 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 they're fuzzy little things. And, and some of the places we lived, we got those big sphinx moths. You ever seen those things? About that big? My brother used to have one in his bug collection because it, it, he, he caught it and it, he put it up there in his little bug collection. Big old honking thing. <clears throat> you realize you can't touch those moths that much? Why is that? You get moth dust on you. Right? Get all that. Yeah, I mean, and, and then pretty soon the moth is fluttering around. It can't take off. You realize all that stuff is just kind of held on there the way that God made the moth. That dust is important for it to fly and everything about it. But, but I mean, it looks beautiful on the outside, bright colors, but you can wipe it away. And he says, you know what a rebuke does from the Lord? A rebuke from the Lord. A rebuke from the Lord will wipe away that vain pride and reveal the real issue. That fake beauty that a person was hiding behind. There's a lot of discussion about that with beauty products today. There's a company, I'm not going to mention its name, there's a company that realized that, uh, you know, all these things with beauty products, makeup, lipstick, you know, all that stuff, it said, um, basically, we're going to, we don't want any of these, these digitally altered photos that make the person look more beautiful than they are, eliminating the pimple that they had on the photo shoot day or anything like that. We want to see it all. Every scar, every open pore, everything. And if it comes back and you try to get, we will discontinue selling your product. 
and they only want to go with what is considered natural beauty. They said, we want to see what the product actually looks like on real people. That's the only advertising we will ever use. Why? Because they wanted to be truthful and they wanted to be honest. They wanted to reveal exactly what it will look like. But sometimes those things, they're just a cover-up. We go through life and you know what we do? We digitally Photoshop ourselves. And I'm not talking about for Instagram or Facebook or wherever we're posting something. What I'm talking about is we try to do that to the world. Do you know what God sees? He sees all through those filters. And a rebuke from the Lord will take all of that and wipe it away and reveal exactly who you are. This is why that rebuke process is so important. Because rebuke is a pride killer. A rebuke is a pride killer. It will end it. It will end it. Take a look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. <coughs> this is why rebuke has to come. This is why it's like one of the first stops on this, uh, 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 in correction. Because you're going to get rebuked. You're not just going to wake up one day and just have this epiphany of, oh, I want to be a better self. And, 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 and I really don't have anything wrong in my life and, and, and there's nothing that I need to change. No, there's a lot we need to change. If we, if we're truthful and honest and we start asking for God to reveal to us what is controlling the reins of our heart? If we truly ask God reveal and show us the secret things that I, that I have in my life that are keeping me from having a real relationship with you, God will show them to you. And you know what? It will wound your pride. It will kill your pride. And rightfully so, because that, that giant needs to die. You put a rock right in its head and chop its head off. I know that sounds violent. (laughs) But you know what? That's the way we have to approach pride. We have to approach pride with the mentality of, I do not want it in my life. Rebuke will take care of this. In Proverbs chapter 29, I want you to take down here a look at, uh, um, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 27. Can't even read my own handwriting. My own handwriting has rebuked me. (laughs) Uh, Verse 5, it says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Man, that's a dark saying, isn't it? You can spend a day just thinking about those, I mean, just a few words. What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Is that right? Thank you. <laughs> Dyslexia's got to get double checked on those, right? <clears throat> Seven words. Rebuke better than love. But there's descriptors. Open rebuke. Open rebuke. 
Sometimes we need that. You know what? I'm pretty certain that there was probably other serpents that were in the chamber that day when Nathan was there. This is just my opinion, okay? I'm not going to preach that as gospel. They, they probably had no idea what Nathan was talking about. But it was open. And sometimes God will do that openly. Sometimes God will expose your sin publicly. Number 32, be sure your sin will find you out. And when it does, it likes to hang it out there for everyone to see. And God allows it. Did you ever think about that? David's sin is now recorded in the word of God. Think about that for a moment. Everybody knows. Initially, it was just David and Bathsheba. Now, everybody that has a Bible that's read it knows. How many Bibles have been published? It's an open rebuke. And it's far, by, far better than somebody holding back and saying, well, I don't really want to hurt their feelings. And sometimes we have to go through that process where somebody comes up to us and says, you need to stop. You need to stop. And that's a hard thing for us to hear. It's a real hard thing. I want you to go over to Second Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4 this time. And this is something that happens. And sometimes you're going to get placed into a ministerial role. And I want to, I want to clarify that. We, we, we have a ministerial role, each one of us. But we are ministers. We're ambassadors. Ministry of reconciliation. Uh, a minister is somebody that comes along and helps others. They're a servant, okay? And here he is talking about it and saying, sometimes, you know what, you're going to have to do that. And he tells Timothy here, he says, this, this is going to happen. And, and I'm pointing these verses out for a reason. In first, first, uh, uh, excuse me, second, uh, Timothy chapter four, verse one, it says, I charge you therefore before God and before Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing, at his appearing and his kingdom. He says, preach the word. Yeah, everybody can do that. 
By the way, this, this isn't just for a pastor, okay? This isn't just for a bishop. This wasn't just for Timothy. This is for you and me. Comes out of your mouth should be the word of God. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. What is that? Instantly doing that which God has told you to do. Even when it's not supposed to be your time to do it. None of this, not my job duty. Sometimes we have different seasons in life. Sometimes we just sit back and we're not doing anything. Sometimes we're just a layperson sitting in the pew. Be the best layperson you can be. Be the best layperson you can be. Sometimes you get called to do something else. And you're like, well, I didn't want to get called to do that. <laughs> Too bad! <laughs> I, I, I encourage you to come on, uh, on uh, Sunday nights and listen to Jonah from Brother Mike. <laughs> called to do something he didn't want to do. He wasn't instant in season. He was semi-instant out of season. <laughs> But instant in season and out season. And he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Those three things always go together, by the way. Do not separate them. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. If you're going to rebuke somebody, you need to exhort them as part of it to do what is right. An exhortation is something that involves a lot of effort. You don't just sit there and go, stop it. You can do it. That's not it. Okay? That's not helping anybody. You gotta involve yourself in time and prayer and study with the Word of God, that may mean commitment that you may not be able to do at that time, whatever it may mean that you have to do to do the reproving, the rebuking, and the exhorting, then you have to do it. But he says, if you're going to do all of these things, there's a way to go about doing it. What is that? With all long-suffering and doctrine. The doctrine has to be there. The Word of God has to be present. If you're just going to rebuke somebody and then just walk away and not give them the word of God, don't do it. Keep your mouth closed. Because you're supposed to do it, as he said here, with doctrine. You have to have this to back you. So it's not your preference. Whatever it may be. Somebody will say, well, I rebuke you because I don't like, I don't like the way you cut my lawn. Take a, take a look at the book of, uh, St. John Deere. It's not in there. It's not in there, okay? Somebody comes over and mows your lawn. Praise God for it. 
Amen. My lawn tries to kill me. It did. Praise God, I hired Silas to come and mow my lawn one time because they get out of hand. Sorry, it's all dead now, Silas. <laughs> can't, you can't pay him to come over and do that. <clears throat> but you understand, it, 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 there has to be doctrine behind it. If there's no doctrine, stay away from it. But I want you to see that there was something before the doctrine, right? Long-suffering. You know how many times, Lord, I've told them to stop? Was it 70 times 7? But they just won't. You can't tell them one more time for the Lord? You can't exhort them one more time for the Lord? Aren't you glad the Lord didn't say, enough is enough with you? Aren't you glad He said, well... Got one more chance. Aren't you glad for the long suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins? Our sins? That's the type of long suffering you approach it with. If you ever have to rebuke somebody, the Lord says, you need to go rebuke that guy. This is the way he wants you to do it. Don't walk up to the person, slap them in the face and say, God says you're a sinner and walk off. Not that effective. Not that effective. But if you approach it with long suffering in your heart, you know what that does? That brings out the compassion of Christ in you. That you can walk up to somebody and say, brother, I've seen this in your life. We're talking about sin that's that's apparent. You know, again, if you're starting to be a busybody and meddle in somebody else's business, be careful. There's warnings in Scripture about that. I'm talking about something that's very apparent. You have to do it with the same long-suffering that God had towards you. You have to do it with the Word of God. If you're not willing to do that, and you're not willing to follow through with the exhortation, then I can guarantee you, God's probably not telling you to do it. Because God will tell you, to do it the right way. He won't tell you to do it the wrong way. He'll tell you to do it the right way. Because that's exactly what we start talking about when it comes to reproving. Reproving, as we talked about, is is we go through that idea and that process of what is sin, why it is sin, and what the right thing to do is. Those three elements are what's necessary for that second step. Of reproof. Now we've already talked about reproof uh, uh, quite a bit, so I'm not going to to harp on that one, if you will, a little bit longer. But just remember what reproving is. Reproving is what is sin, why it's sin, and what the right thing is. Those three elements have to be included in the reproof. 
If you just know it's sin, but you don't know why it's sin, and you don't know what the right thing to do is, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. That's where the doctrine comes in. That's where the Word of God comes in. That's where counsel comes in. That's where somebody that's going to be maybe a rebuker in your life is going to lead you through that with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That might be necessary. Now, look, I know I only got through two of these tonight. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about conviction. We've already talking, talked about that one uh, quite a bit as well when we were talking about reproof. But we need to understand there are certain things that we have to go through this process. If we don't grasp each one of these steps, receive them, do them, and we try to take the shortcut, it's like opening the first, opening a book, reading the first page, and then going to the last page of the book and trying to make sense. Open up War and Peace. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And then you go to the last. Now I don't even remember what the last was, because it's been a while since I read that thing. Talk about a snoozer. Anyways, <laughs> um, if you like it, praise God. Uh, but, you know, and then try to make sense of the whole book. Can't do it. Can't do it. Each element is necessary so that the correction will be long-lasting. That's what we're going for. That the change is going to last and endure through the rest of your life. Not last two weeks for a New Year's resolution or four weeks because you got reprimanded at work for it. It's got to be something that is purposed in our heart because we love our Savior and we want to please Him and bring Him glory in every area. If that's not our mindset, that change is going to be really hard. That's why all of these steps are important. We'll find out more about those, Lord willing, next week, but uh, um, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that we've had. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you again for your shed blood on the cross and the Resurrection, Lord, and the power thereof. And Lord, I thank you for your long-suffering, your mercy, your kindness, and your grace towards us. Uh, me especially, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we just keep those things in mind as we continue to go through this week, as we endeavor to please you and honor you with all that we say and do, that, Lord, you bring these things to remembrance. That whether we were rebuked or we have to be rebuked of someone else, that, Lord, we would seek these things that we find in your Scripture, We seek these things, Lord, to please you with all that we say and do. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray you take us home safely. This I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.